we can get it down to about a 16% uh, gross margin and then we're paying salaries out of that. Yeah, so yeah, that's good. it's, it's the, the top line numbers turn much higher and then they're like, Oh, it's a software business with really high revenue. And once you kind of crack the door open a little bit, you're like, Oh, okay. There's actually a little bit less, you know, contributing revenue here. You are listening to conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed to subscribe go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. You want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is James Marks. He's a serial entrepreneur with multiple successful exits focused on the intersection of design, music, and commerce, now building Whiplash. James, ready to take us to the top? I am. Let's go. All right. So the website is getwhiplash.com. What's the company do? Uh, Whiplash is an e-commerce order fulfillment solution. So people put their products in our warehouses. We pack it up and ship it out when they need to, when they need it ordered. Are those warehouses on your balance sheet? They are not. So okay. originally, we opened those warehouses ourselves and we owned and operated them. And then we switched to a network platform after a few years when we realized companies were already doing a great job on the physical side. And what they needed was good software to kind of bridge that gap. Okay, so you owned and operated. So how many warehouses did you own and operate for a period of time? Uh, I think we were up to three when we got out of that part of it. And we pivoted to the network model. And today we've got about 18. Okay. And how many how much square footage were, were those warehouses altogether? Yeah, so ours were relatively small. I think we started, uh, the first one was like 500 square feet, and then they grew, and then we were up to about 16,000 square feet. Across all three? Yeah, the the largest was 16,000, so we were about 20,000 in total, and that's when we realized it wasn't our game. Okay. And and so with the network partners, and now we've got, you know, like 800,000 square feet, right? Well, so what did you do? Did Did you sell off those three warehouses? Yeah, we so we sold them to a they're basically friends from one of my previous businesses and said, Hey, why don't you guys set up a LLC and you'll operate these as part of the the network model? Uh, and that was maybe three years ago. It's gone pretty well. Okay, so now you have eighteen partners. You're not responsible for physical locations, repairs, property taxes, et cetera. What's the relationship like with these partners? So that was the surprising thing is that the partners are in the business to sell fulfillment services. And so they look at us like a customer. And so we're actually just buying those services from them. Um, We're known for having good software and being a little bit more uh, in tune with what the e-commerce needs. So we've got, you know, an integration already built to Shopify. We already know how to use the right shipping methods. Uh, And so it's actually fairly positive they see us as making them relevant as the switch happens to e-commerce. But what do you do? Do you do you buy X percent of their warehouses every month? It's a fixed fee or is it variable or? 
Yeah, it's variable. So we kind of go into it together. So we're going to bring our software and our customers. And usually we cordon off a section of the warehouse to do a trial. And then we uh, it's it's all you know percentage of revenue based. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I guess let me role play with you. I'm your friend who bought those 20,000 square foot of, of space. You say, hey, friend, I want the back left corner. It's a thousand square feet to run a test in. I can't pay you anything up front, but I think I'm going to put a million dollars of GMV through this part of the warehouse every single month and I'll give you 1% of it. You promise that or that sounds good, but then you don't do any GMV for whatever reason. Demand's not there. What happens? So those relationships where, you know, maybe we miss the opportunity, um, we would end up closing that section. And, you know, it's like a failed, like failed launch, basically. We've had relatively few of those. But, you know, because warehouses have the space already, and it's not like we're saying, okay, commit this to us for a year and maybe we'll do something down the road. It's, you know, two months and, you know, we get a small experiment. Companies are, you know, we find the right partners who are hungry to do that kind of thing. Okay. And did I get it right? I mean, is it, is it 1% of GMV typically, or is it a percent of GMV model? It's not a percent of GMV. So fulfillment works on, usually you've got like a fixed handling fee that's, you know, we have like a retail rate that we charge our customers and the wholesale rate that we're going to pay to the warehouse partners. Yep. So it's, and it's reflective of, you know, standard things in the industry, like how many orders are in and how many items are in an order. Um, it doesn't get into GMV and it's, it's more of a, you know, we, we set those rates based on tiers for how large the customer is. So you might have, you know, a customer that's shipping a hundred packages a month is going to pay one set of rates where a customer that's shipping, you know, 50,000 packages a month will pay a different set of rates. Yeah. So let's look at your medium plan, right? In the United States, a thousand orders per month per package is $2 and 25 cents. And then if you go up to, you know, add seven items to that order, it's only 19 cents per additional item. That's what you mean by the variable pricing. Yeah, exactly. And then it's tiered per, per customer category. Yeah. Interesting. And then, you know, the, the price that you see on the site, it's really great to start a conversation and it, it sort of anchors things. You know, the reality is that e-commerce companies are all a little bit different. You often have, you know, some regional player who maybe doesn't have the tech, but they're hungry and they're trying to, you know, put together some special pricing package. So we do end up tuning those to a degree. And, you know, we play that. Um, there's a little bit of a, as a platform, we can choose, you know, what warehouse the product is going to go into. We can choose who is a good match for where the products are coming from and going to. And so we can load balance it a little bit and sometimes provide a little bit of um, tuning on the pricing to, to win the deal for us and, and the partner. Can you throw your weight around because you have so much volume to get better economics? So I guess the real question I should ask is over the past 12 months, how many total items have you shipped? So the total items we've shipped over the last 12 months, you know, it's um, multiple millions is we can throw our weight or we don't really throw weight around. We, we look for things that work for everyone and say, Hey, you know, if we could do this together, we'd win this deal together. And it's more opt in. We're not going to bully somebody and say, you know, you have to do this if, if you want this other thing to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, but when you say total we, item shipped, you're talking like, you're talking like 3 million over the past 12 months or more like 10 million. I'd say off the top of my head, I think it's probably in the 3 million range. Okay, that's good. And across how many, I guess, unique brands or customers like beta brands? Yeah, so our list right now is probably around 400 customers. Okay, so that's pretty good. There's there's some beta brands in there. There's, you know, some, some smaller folks. And then, you know, some of my favorites are... 
um, the smaller folks who don't necessarily push crazy volume through, but they're really great brands like the Moth podcast, right, <laughs> where we're doing their their merch and the numbers aren't going to blow anyone's doors off. But it's it feels great to be a part of their story. There's there's a lot of brands on. Our so what are they what are they sending the Moth podcast? Uh, I haven't looked at their account in a minute, but it's T-shirts, coffee mugs, tote bags, the kind of, you know, the kind of stuff you'd expect from a radio show. Interesting. Do you see power laws in your customer base? So does your like your top customer, how much do they send annually through you? Yeah, it's I don't want to break it down exactly, but there's something like the 80-20 rule where the people who can drive volume really drive volume. When um, we've had to we've had to back off from some of the smaller customers a little bit. There's an inversion where the less volume you have, the harder customer you are. There, there's something about um, I, I don't want to get too diminutive about it, but there's something where small customers are sometimes small for a reason. And it's because they're maybe they're not e-commerce pros, maybe they're better at something else. And so they tend to have more support, more, more handholding through the process, and it just becomes literally expensive for us to support it. And then you bring somebody else who's, you know, maybe shipping 50,000 orders a month. There's a lot more ability on their side. Yeah. They're saying, James, just shut up and get it live. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And they've got, you know, developer resources on their side to actually spin stuff up. Um, you know, so through the network, we're working with, you know, companies like Figs, for example, they're, they're doing um, tons and tons of scrubs and doing it very, very well. And so they've got a lot of skill on their side to pull that off. Which Is there any model partner. that's not just per package? Do you have a flat kind of fee software model or no? So nothing that's not doesn't come down to per package because there's always um, per package um, at the base of it somewhere. Okay. So I guess, again, you just told me about your power law. So this is an unfair question, but for the sake of time, what's your sweet spot? So the average customer is going to pay you about what per year to use your technology? Yeah. So I would say the the great customers that are driving the business, you know, they might be spending, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a month, um, you know, so we're talking like a million dollars annually. And there's a lot of folks who aren't doing that. And there's some folks doing much more than that, but there's, uh, that's the spot where it's a good match, where there's enough sophistication, there's enough need that we can really spin up and, and, you know, provide a lot of value. And you're obviously always constantly trying to work towards only those kinds of customers, but you also take a chance on some smaller ones because you hope they might scale. So it, I understand where you're going. Yeah. If you look at though, and if you look at though a true average across the 400, is it really, are they all spending, you know, on average 40,000, 50,000 a month through you? No, those are the, those are the cherry customers. Yeah. I'd say if you look at true, true average, it's something like, you know, two or $3,000 yeah. a month. Um, and that's because you do have a long tail and there's a little bit, we used to have much lower minimums, like back in the day when we were trying to get the business off the ground and we didn't understand how much support went into some of those small accounts. And so uh, all those people, we grandfathered them in. We didn't kick anybody off the platform, even as we raised minimums and really changed our our profile. Uh, there's a ton of folks who are grandfathered in. And, you know, we consider them a part of our our success and a part of our story. We don't want to, you know, you see other companies who are like, oh, we don't do that anymore. And they just cut everything off. And we're not quite that mercenary about it. We, we see the value that they gave us in building the company. And we want to you know, they got in under the wire. So Josh, if we, I want to understand like how the full ecosystem works on this thing. So let's, let's focus on that $2,000 a month customer. That's what they pay you, right? So it's some combination of per package pricing, plus additional items, plus serial number collection on some of them, but 2000 through you, what percent of that goes immediately out to FedEx, DHL, you know, 
Yeah. So that's about 50% goes straight out to the carriers. Okay. 50% to carriers. And then about what I know this probably is different depending on the warehouse, but about how much goes to the warehousing? Another 25%. Okay. Got it. So you're engineering essentially a 25% net margin. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Gross margin before your yeah. sales and before your salaries and all that. Yeah. And even, even that's actually, it ends up being a little bit lower once you work it all out. I mean, really, you know, we, we can get it down to about a 16% uh, gross margin and then we're paying salaries out of that. Yeah, so yeah, that's good. it's, it's the, the top line numbers turn much higher and then they like, oh, it's a software business with really high revenue. Once you kind of crack the door open a little bit, you're like, Oh, okay. There's actually a little bit less, you know, contributing revenue here. Well, I mean, there's a lot of companies. So you see this in ad tech a lot where they'll say our revenue is a billion. No, they process a billion through their platform. Then they have to go actually spend the money. They're only making maybe like a million on a billion of spend. (laughs) Exactly. So there's some of that. So we tried to, the the reason that all that stuff flows through our books is because we do actually get leverage with the carriers. And we felt it was important to have those run through our accounts because someday we were going to get better discounts. Someday it would be a margin opportunity. And so we did want it to flow through our accounts and we did consider it revenue, even at times when we were subsidizing it. And so it, there, it was one of those decisions where we always had to go back to it. Like, are we being honest about this? You know, should we be you know, reporting lower revenues? And we said, no, because there is an opportunity someday to make margin on this, we're going to continue oh, to 100%. declare it as part of our top Yeah, line. yeah, I know. Your margin profile will get better over time as you grow volume. Um, right. So, I mean, tell me if this math is accurate. Can I do this? 400 customers, right? Times about 2,000 bucks a month means your processing caught around $800,000 a month total across your base, of which you have about 16% gross margin or doing about $128,000 a month in revenue. So about 1.5 million a year. Yeah, I think that's loosely, loosely right. Like okay. we're, we're, we're reporting higher numbers overall, but when you get down into that like contributing revenue, I think that's in the range. And so let's just focus on the $800,000 a month going through your platform, 400 customers, 2000 a month. What was that exactly a year ago? So we can back into growth rate a year ago. Uh, let's see. Last year was about 25% year over year on the top line. Okay. So maybe like $550,000, a month through your platform a year ago. Yeah. And so in the early days, we were growing like, you know, 140, 120%, <laughs> you know, those, those things. It's easy to take a million and take it to 2 million. Yeah. And then we were definitely seeing some, it was a couple of things. So um, we hit some scale inflections where you're at a new place where instead of having six engineers, you've got 12 and you're getting some, some, um, is that where you're at, by the way, is that how many engineers you have right now? We are, yeah, we're about 15 people total and not all of them engineers. Um, so it's probably half of those are engineers and half of them are, are technical support. Any quota carrying reps? Uh, no. Okay. So you're doing all the sales. Yeah. We're doing all the sales internally. And so, so but what I'm getting, saying is though, you don't give like sales, you don't have salespeople where you give commission to. No, no. So we don't, we don't have a commission model. So the, the, we, one of the things we love about selling the product is we're here. If you need us, we're here. If it makes sense for you and we'll explain it when you come through the door, but we're, we're very, um, afraid of becoming that used car salesman. That's just like trying to cram it down the, down your throat to meet the quota. Um, so all of this, it's a, it's a little bit of a funny thing. So we were actually acquired four months ago. So I'm telling my story (laughs) about whiplash, but the the fact is, uh, in April we were acquired by port logistics group. And so while these things are still true because we run this, you know, small 
uh, team and this you know independent company inside that that larger parent company. Uh, I'm thinking over my answers and trying to remember like are these still true? You know, <laughs> do we have quota carrying salespeople? And you know what, we might now, even though they're not on my team. I, I can't really speak for for the rest of the organization. Yeah. Now, will this be? I mean, if you're doing eight hundred thousand a month in volume through your platform, this could potentially be your first ten kind of million GMV year. Do you think you'll break ten million this year through your platform? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's exciting. Now, why did you sell? So we had, we started the company to sell it in the very beginning. It was this thing. I was running a company called VG Kids that's actually still doing very, very well. And it had, it was so close to me and so much heart in the business. And it was just something I built with my friends for my friends. And I was getting getting a little bit older trying to raise a family and I was like, you know, I actually need a little more money in life. And as, as bad as that felt to be sort of money motivated, I was like, I got to start one. I got to do it for the money. Um, I when did a, you launch the company? What year? Win here. 2007 was okay. the very beginning. So you'd been at it for um, more than 10 years as well. Yeah, exactly. And it was part-time in the beginning and we built it slowly. And of course we built up you know, those meaningful relationships with all of our customers, employees, and it felt just as bad to think about selling it all, you know, as it ever would have. Um, but the fact is we found a great partner who saw our vision and there was a way to get a little bit of money out, but provide a really stable place for the, the team and the customers to land and to make it a better version of Whiplash than we had built on our own. And, you know, we took it. So it was more than 90% of the deal really you going to stock options and port logistics? Uh, no, no. So it was, for me, it was about liquidity. And okay. so we, uh, we did, we downplayed that, uh, that role. Yeah, that's good. Now, would you, had you bootstrapped the company before the acquisition or had you raised? We had done both. So we bootstrapped for about seven years and then we went through 500 startups and then we raised a small seed round from, uh, Tim Draper and, uh, you know, there's there's a few folks involved in that point and it felt like we had, we owed them a return and sort of our, you know, we put 10 years into the company and we're ready to do something yeah. else. And how much total um, had you raised when you add all that up? I think it was like 1.3 million. Okay, good. So small, small by Bay Area standards, but it's all relative. You know, when we got our wire for hundred for a million dollars, it was the most money I'd ever seen in my life at that time. You know, you're looking at your bank account, you're like, we can do anything. And then three months later, you're like, wow, that is not a lot of money. So it's, it's all relative. Yep. And then what, when you were discussing and going through the, the negotiations, port logistics, what did you try and anchor to in terms of valuations? You're trying to anchor to, towards a GMV multiple or a contributed revenue multiple or something else? Yeah. So it was a constant push and pull, right? Because PLG is private equity backed. And so they look at things very, very strictly through an EBITDA multiple. Whereas, you know, we're from Silicon Valley where everything is like a, you know, MRR multiple. And so we're uh, sort of at odds there. And we, we found a way to. Well, you weren't, you probably weren't profitable, gap. right? You probably had no EBITDA. Well, so we had to, we had to do something about that. So we went through a phase where we were like, okay, we're going to prove that this thing you know, can deliver EBITDA. And that's obviously that's, that's very different, uh, than the way, you know, what you think what'd you startups. So it wasn't cutting. It was just a matter of stopping the, you know, kind of aggressive growth that we'd been on and then letting the growth catch up and deliver so that we could, you know, hit those new, those new layers. And there's a little bit of tuning on the platform. You know, we've been subsidizing things like packaging materials for years and, you know, didn't want it to slow growth down. And so we, you, you fix those things. Um, we had always made sure we were sort of within arm's distance of profitability. And so 
it was just a matter of buckling down and, and tuning the company a little bit. So got profitable before the acquisition. And then did the thing pan out? I mean, was it more or less than a $5 million deal? Uh, I don't want to go into the numbers on the deal, but I will say that it was very positive for us. And um, how did you measure positive? Like, for example, if you figured out a way to do a side deal with Port Logistics, it could be great for you. But if you didn't get out from under the liquidation preference on the 1.3 raised, it could be bad for angels, right? Or Yeah, we made it we made it work for all the investors. It wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, like a portfolio you know, winning deal where like, OK, that took care of the entire round. But we wanted to make sure that people would work with us again. And my personal reputation is important to me. And so no one no one got hurt in the deal. Yeah. So they say it's hard to motivate a man after you make him wealthy. Uh, so why are you still there? because <laughs> you can make a man a little bit more wealthy. There's, there's that. <laughs> Is there an earn out? Uh, there's a little bit of an earn out. And then, you know, so obviously they, they put, they put golden handcuffs on these deals um, pretty much always. Right. And then there's, I have a big, feel like a responsibility to my team and I sold them a vision that we're going to get integrated. And, uh, you know, these are my friends and these are, these are people I've Did they get anything years. from the acquisition to the waterfall hit them or no? Yeah. We made sure it splashed on everyone a little bit. I don't know if it was, you know, the full, the full gushing force that they may have hoped for, but we made sure it splashed around a spot. A, a splash is good. I like that analogy. All right, let's wrap up here with the famous five, James. Number one, favorite business book. Uh, I'm going to go with power of habit. Number which is not, that's good. Power habits. Good. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, no one specific right now. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the company? Uh, GitHub. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Eight to nine. That's pretty good. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Uh, married with children. How many kiddos? I've got uh, 26 and 16 that my oldest is uh, the product manager for Whiplash. Oh, wow. Okay. So two folks. That's good. Yeah. Busy man. All right. How old are you? Uh, I turned 41 this week. 40. Congratulations. That's exciting. All right. Last question. Take us back to your 20 year old self. What do you wish you knew? Uh, so number one, that it's going to be okay. I was so scared. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was so scared. And so, uh, I lacked confidence in just, and I think, and I look back and I think it must've been like, you know, out of me in every transaction. And like, you know, every time I submitted pricing or thought about an idea or considered whether to even, you know, try to get investors and man, confidence is everything. And I think that's one of the biggest fundamental things is that I'm just, I can ask for things now in a way that, that I had a hard time with before. Guys, Whiplash, order fulfillment for e-commerce, now working with over 400 brands that put on average $2,000 of product through them. So call it $800,000 per month through the platform total. They have a 16% kind of margin profile on that money because about, call it 25% goes to the warehouse expenses and 50% go to the carriers that actually deliver the product. But they are a software layer in between there. They make it more efficient. Launched in 2007, raised 1.3 million bucks, got profitable before they exited to a PE-backed company, call it four or five months ago. Uh, Now the team, about 15 people that are continuing to build the company, seven engineers as they look to continue to grow inside of Port Logistics. James, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you.